Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts on Wednesday night. We want to invite you to grab hold of a copy of the, of the Scriptures and make your way to the book of Acts chapter 2. On Wednesday nights, we're making our way through the Scriptures at a more rapid pace than we do on Sunday mornings. Usually we're trying to do uh, about a chapter or so at a time on Wednesday night. We're probably not going to do that tonight, just FYI. Uh, it's a long chapter and a really good one that just has a lot of weight to it. So we'll spend a, a couple weeks there for sure. Uh, but we're longing that God would meet us in it. So hopefully you got a copy of the Scriptures. If not, they're in front of you in a chair, page number on the screen. Join us there. Uh, if you're in the overflow, if you're on online, same invitation. Have a copy of the Scriptures. Be open with that. And let's just long that God would meet us. I want to lead you in prayer asking for that, asking that he would give us ears to hear uh, that which he has for us. And so let's just do that right now. Let's ask that God would just speak in favor and help into our lives this evening. Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who is at work. And I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful. And uh, just asking right now that you would open up our hearts to it, You'd open up our hearts to you. You would take your word and just cause that which you have for us to be heard, to be understood, but then to work into us, Lord, that your word would do what you say it does, powerful, alive, powerful, able to change, able to work. God, we ask for help in that this evening. We ask for your touch and your favor. Give us ears, give us ability to comprehend and apply that which you have for us. I ask for that for me and for each of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Getting back to our roots. In some ways, that's one of the invitations in the book of Acts. That in the book of Acts, we have this account of how it began, uh, of the work that takes place in the church, and there is an invitation Uh, to go back to that. And I want to tell you, that's a good invitation. We're going to focus on that uh, a little bit this evening, but I also want to just pause at the very outset and just be honest and say, hey, sometimes when people say that, it's like, hey, let's get back to the book of Acts. Let's get back to the church the way it's supposed to be. I kind of want to say, so have you read the book of Acts? You know, have you, I mean, have you kind of just, have you read, I mean, you really do understand that it was a mess from the beginning. I mean, we were always, you know, just a hard work case for God to work with. And so we're not looking at the book of Acts as some kind of, you know, perfect model, like everything goes well and everything they do is that, because it's not that. And that's good for us to know. It's good for us to, to be able to weigh into at the same moment. It's still good to be able to find our origin there, to find the roots that are there. And if there's any space in the book of Acts that makes that uh, so important, it would have to be here in chapter 2. Is if we're here in chapter 2, it really is kind of that moment, almost 2,000 years ago, then that which you and I know as the church of Jesus Christ really does find its origin, uh, really does find its beginning, Uh, that that which Jesus had promised pours out, the Spirit pours out and and begins to unite, hook us together, drawing us to the life that's happening. So we're going to gaze back into that day, that day it began, uh, the day the work began that is continuing to work into our lives, continuing to be a part of what the church is supposed to be. And so our goal will be to kind of see some of that, see the beginnings, see the origins. Uh, some things that are unique never happened again, and yet they still start the thread. They still start a, 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 an emphasis that's going to work into that, and so it's certainly what we want to see as we move into this evening. Well, I already said it a moment ago, but we're going to work our way through chapter two. We're probably going to take two, maybe, maybe even three weeks uh, on chapter two because it's so important. But let's just take a quick overview of what's in front of us. So here in chapter two, it begins in these first verses we're going to cover in a moment where the Spirit pours out where what Jesus talked about back in Acts chapter 1, that he said, hey, wait for it. Wait for the baptism of the Spirit. Wait for the work of the Spirit that is going to, you know, compel and and propel us forward to everything that God has. Well, here it's going to happen. 
We're going to see that happen, and it's going to be that which is really strength and life and just the beginnings of that which God has called to, to work in us, and get, begin the beginnings of, of the church. We're going to see that. We'll see that initial impact uh, that really runs from about five, verses 5 through 13 and, and just how that begins to make uh, a touch into the world that, again, gives us feel for how that's supposed to continue. Then Peter's going to take a response to that, and he's going to preach the first sermon uh, in just kind of declaring answers to that. And we'll come back and, and, and look at that, and, and next week probably dive into that uh, for sure. And then it really ends the chapter with a progress report. In fact, there's seven of them in the book of Acts, seven times where it just pauses and says, hey, here's where the church is. This is what's happening, and in many ways gives us a, a place to see both of what God is doing and its, its origins and its beginnings. And so, again, just a good space. So here in chapter 2, it's that. It's a day. It's a day where the Spirit pours out, the, the work happens, Peter preaches this incredible sermon, 3,000 people get saved. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a beginning of, of a work that begins to press into the world, and it's worthy of us just gazing into, again, both to understand it, but to find the origins of what God is longing to do today. So good place for us to go. Some of you have a good understanding, good just reminder of it, but nevertheless, it is good for me to come and just bring it before us and say, okay, let's dive into it. Let's see what that is. Let's notice the things that take place. So let's read. Let's just start there in verse one. Let's read the first four verses, and then we're going to unpack them a little bit. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared on them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. It's an amazing moment. I wish you could just imagine it. I wish, you, I wish we could see it. I wish in one sense God would just take us back and kind of, a, you know, just let us live through that. Who knows? Maybe we will. Maybe heaven will have kind of like a heaven version of the DVR kind of thing. I don't know. And we'll get to be there and see it. I think that'd be amazing. But in either way, we get to kind of imagine this whole thing right now few things that we just want to tie into the beginning story. It is a day that it begins by telling us there in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. When Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, had fully come. That's a space where we begin to look at that which we know as a harvest. Now, here's what I know. Uh, you guys get to walk through this pretty consistently, so I'm not going to dive into this deeply, but just quickly remind you of what I hope you understand, because we go through this you know, two or three times a year, where we think through the feast that God gave us in the Old Testament, the feast that mark the kind of calendar year on God's calendar, and how they really do picture Christ. So there's seven Old Testament feasts. The first three, uh, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits, those all uh, you know, tie into what Jesus' first work, um, his first coming. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of him dealing with sin. The last three, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, they all foreshadow what we're waiting for, that Jesus is coming back. And, and so there's this good space that kind of ties into the first work of Jesus coming and into a second. But where we want to think through is the one that's right there in the middle. We want to think through the one that is Pentecost. Uh, that is this, when Pentecost fully came, and it's known as a feast of harvest. Now, again, I didn't give it that title, God did. So in the Old Testament, when he's beginning to prescribe this to his people, tells us in Exodus 23, three times, uh, you shall keep a feast to me in the year. So there's seven, but the first three happen in, in, in a matter of a week. The last three happen in a matter of two weeks. So really, they are three uh, just key moments to kind of define, and he gives us the titles for them. He says the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is when sin is dealt with, when Jesus comes and leaven is a picture of sin, so he deals with sin. Uh, the last one is a Feast of Ingathering. He's going to gather us in. He's going to take us home. 
I'm ready. I'm like, I'm ready right now. So, I mean, if he wants to interrupt our evening, that sounds good to me. But the one we want to think through, if he gives us time, is the one that begins tonight, that begins here in Acts 2, which he says is a harvest. It is a feast of harvest. Now, it was on the calendar year. It was the beginning uh, of, of them beginning to harvest their crops. But spiritually, it's a far more profound picture. That when we think about what this is, Pentecost becomes this picture of a harvest, not of grain, not of wheat, but of souls. A harvest where, where Jesus talks about it when he talks to the woman at the well, says, hey, I want you to look out, and the fields are wide under harvest. And, and it begins to be a picture of people being saved. They were seeing people saved from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what this is about. When we think about the church and really what we are in many ways, it is this. I mean, there is a a sense of understanding that from the very get-go, what we are is, you know, Jesus is building his church. He's rescuing people. He's saving people. I mean, that's what we are. That's what the church is from the very beginning. It is this picture of understanding. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still waiting for Jesus to come back, because he's still saving people, because he's still rescuing people. And so it's this Pentecost had fully come, not just in a symbol, but it was the day where all that that has symbolized and pictured, it began. And we're still in the middle of that. So the harvest started uh, there on that Sunday happened, I'm sorry, on that, on that Pentecost, uh, and, and has now been carrying forward to today, that we are still in the space where he is in the place where we are still a part of him rescuing, saving, drawing people in there. Wow. Okay. Well, add to that. So it is at the time where it began, verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. The second thing it tells us is that they were all there with one accord in one place. That's a good beginning. That's a good beginning. Now, we, again, get to see it in chapter 1. Some of you might remember Jesus had told them uh, to wait, had, had told them that, you know, that they should, you know, wait for the coming of the Spirit, and it tells us that. You know, back in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, you know, they'd returned to that upper room. And in verse 14, excuse me, it says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so we have this space where the church is there. And it's this good picture for us just to pause and say, hey, that's a part of what we're supposed to be. That there is, in one sense, this picture of unity, the unity of the body of Christ that is meant to be there. So many verses I could think through, but I'll just give you this one in Ephesians when it's talking about this and calling us to respond Uh, to the grace that God has given us. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another with love, endeavoring, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's just a good word for us to think through for a moment. Then we're thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit. We're thinking about Pentecost. We're thinking about the day it began. He says, hey, you don't have to create it. This isn't for you to go and make it happen. We have it, but keep that. I mean, walk in that. Walk in who you are. There's power in that. There's much we could think about with this, but understand this. Unity is more powerful than you probably understand for good or for evil. You can go back into the book of Genesis and find when mankind was united, uh, uh, you know, against uh, God, really beginning to build Babel, you know, the, the city of Babel and their unity. And God just comes down and says, hey, if they, if they are unified in this, nothing's going to stop, you know, them getting in there. Unity is powerful in, in, a, in, a, in a way that is, can go one direction or the other, and it's meant to be going a good direction. So part of who we are as Christians is to step into that, to recognize you know, the, the divisiveness or the, the weights that would just kind of get in the way of that is so against what God wants for us. And again, much, much more we could say about that. First Corinthians is a great book that talks about that because Paul unpacks it in a lot of ways. And chapter one is just saying, hey, you need to get your mind around that. You need to be able to see the body of Christ uh, as united, as that there's only one body and we really are connected. It's not divided in Christ. We are one, and there's power in that, and they had that. So they're in one accord. That's the idea of united in purpose, united in heart. They're in the same place, and, and, and they're waiting. 
So unity is a part of that. Then it tells us in verse 2 this, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Now again, it's just, it's just worth just pausing and just thinking about it for a moment. It's just like, you just got to feel it. It's like suddenly, like, I, I mean, just interruption of this place of, of happening, of this, this powerful place where there's sound coming from heaven. And this is an event. I mean, this isn't something that has ever happened again, not in the same way. Uh, this isn't something that we'd look and say, yep, this happens every time on, on Sunday or Wednesday. No, it doesn't. Not the, but it, it gives us a picture of what's happening. And you got to just feel that this wasn't them. This wasn't, you know, them kind of saying, hey, okay, it's time. You know, let's make this thing happen. Let's, no, they're waiting. And this is God. I mean, this is God. This is from heaven. This is, I mean, into that moment, there's, uh, you know, God just purposely moving. God moving in power in a way that isn't their, you know, instrumentality creating it. This is God showing up. This is something where God, you know, just, just resounds. Literally, you know, the sound of heaven, this sudden just, you know, breaking into it. There are sound that arrives from there that begins to just be that. And, boy, that's what we want to be a part of. That's what we're still a part of, is that which God is doing. That which is God is doing, and you feel it even in the beginning. It tells us that sound came across this way. In verse 2, suddenly there came a sound uh, from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. Now, you just got to, again, just try to imagine it for a second. I don't know if you've been there in that. I don't know if you've been in a space where, you know, okay, I know it's been windy out there today, and it's just windy and cold, uh, but it's not the same thing. I mean, it's kind of one of those places when you're there, and, and there's something almost terrifying. Uh, you know, into the space. If you've ever been one of those places where, you know, they're concerned about a tornado or something, and, and boy, you just get to feel it for a moment. You know, it kind of moves from, you know, a breeze to, it's like, there's a mighty wind. I mean, there's this rushing moment where there's this pouring out. And again, this is one of these things that takes place on this day, but it's not repeated. I mean, again, this isn't one of those things that we'd say, yep, happens every time. You know, we get together and rushing. My, no, that's, this, this is an event that takes place, but it's speaking something. I think about Jesus when he would define it for us. And, and he gave it to us in John 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus there and talking to him about believing. Uh, you know, he talks about it being something that you can't see, that you can't define. He would say it this way. He says, you know, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit, where the Spirit is working, where the Holy Spirit is working. It, it's this rushing wind. It is this space that you can't see it. And again, you guys, it's a pretty simple illustration, but I just want to make sure you're thinking about it. You don't see the wind. You've never seen the wind. You've never looked and said, oh, there goes the wind. <laughs> you, you see the impact of the wind. You see what the wind does. You see, uh, you know, you, you know it's windy because the flag is, you know, you know, you know, at full mass. You know it's windy because, you know, leaves or whatever are blowing by. You see what it's impacting, but you don't see it. And, and Jesus, when he's explaining the work of what he's going to do, when he's telling Nicodemus, hey, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. You know, you, there, there needs to be a, a, a work of redemption here that you can't, you know, lock down. You're not going to be able to, but it, you'll see its impact. You'll see this rushing wind. You'll see the space of salvation that is that. And once more, that's what we're about. Like, that's what God's doing. There's this incredible space as it begins here. It, as the church begins, what began there is still what we're longing for. Just this rushing wind, this place where God, we, we don't have to see it. We just want to see you move. We want to see you touch lives. We want to see people being impacted uh, by the work of the Spirit. And where that happens, it is impacting. I don't want to make a lot of it, but I'll even notice how it says it. It says that it's a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There's just something there. There's just something that you kind of think about it. So there's this sound, and it's filling. And there's something about it that's just almost palpable. Almost one of those spaces where God is moving and it's not just, you know, small. It's, it, it, it's it, that space. It's a, a, a place that you could just sit there and go, wow, I mean, this is God moving. That's what we're a part of. That's what he's doing. That's what he still does in, in a way. And, it, and it's incredible. Then it tells us in verse 3 
then. So the wind has come, the sound is there, the house is filled, and then the next thing that happens is there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire that sat upon each one of them. Boy, just a, a place here that uh, you, you just, it's again almost... I don't know, impossible to even imagine it. I mean, anything that I find myself imagining, it feels too silly. I, I don't know how to picture it, but there, it, it was this amazing moment. We're literally into the room. It's as if fire began to come, but tongues of fire in, in a sense and, and distributing out so it lands on every one of them so that they begin to have, boy, this, this, this picture of, of what's taking place and once more, not something that's ever repeated, that's never happened to you. It's never happened to me. It's not like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened, you know, tongue of fire. No, but it is something that it was picturing, which is what Jesus told us, right? What he was telling us is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would give us voices. He would give us tongues of fire. He would give us the ability to share. You can go back to chapter one in one of the most well-known verses uh, that is found in the book of Acts. And Jesus, in anticipating this moment, said in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. says, I'm going to help you be a witness. I'm going to help you have, well, if you will, a tongue of fire. Have you be able to speak you know, the gospel to speak in a way that's going to impact people's lives. He says, I'm going to do this in a way that will enable you to be that which will declare this to the world, that what he began on that day is continuing into this day, and this is available to you. This is what God longs to do in us so that he would give us words, that he would give us power, that he would give us ability to speak and and that that would fall upon us, and, and it would be there. And so that's a good beginning for us. And again, I, I think about that, and, and I'm kind of hoping, even as I say that, it's kind of like, a, well, yeah, of course, Jim. I mean, that's, that, I, mean I, I understand that. I know that's what we are. I know that's what the church is. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget where Jesus would tell us, hey, you're the light of the world. You're, you're the light of the world. Shine. You're, you're the ones who are going to do this. And what began on this day was an empowering that had never been present in the history of mankind before that. An empowering that would enable us in a unique and powerful way to be a part of what God was doing, to take the gospel to the whole world, to be able to share it with power. And it's something that we should be continuing to ask for, that we, can, we should be continuing saying, hey, God, God, I want that. You know, I'm asking for ability, give me open doors to share, give me words to share, give me boldness to share open up opportunities for me, but it's exactly what he's seeking to do. In fact, it's kind of with that, but worth noting how he says it. So you're, again, you're trying to imagine it, trying to picture this whole thing. Appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. It sat upon each of them, and notice they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the power. Uh, this is the power that Acts 1.8 talked about that we just read a moment ago. But there, there's, a, there's a wonder here that I want to just present before you afresh. We talked about this when we were in chapter 1 last time, and, and so I just remind you of it. We have a problem. And part of our problem is it's always been this way in your lifetime. Uh, maybe, I mean, we haven't all been believers all of our lifetime, but from the moment you were saved, it's been this way. That, that God is working and he's doing a work inside of us that now the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. Something that never happened before Jesus died on the cross and now seeks to work in us where it's not uniquely. Uh, you can read through the Old Testament and there are moments where the Holy Spirit works, but it was on uh, just a few people. It was on, you know, prophets or kings but what defines this moment, what defines Pentecost, what defines this day, is this on all of them. It's on the entire church. Everybody who's saved has this. This isn't something that's given to, you know, a select few. 
This isn't something where you, you know, kind of have, you know, the A team of the church and then you have the backup squads or whatever. No, this is like all of us. This is like all of us where there's meant to be a space that we gaze into this and recognize we're invited to be a part of what God is doing and the Spirit of God wants to work that in us and through us. And I don't know where that leans with you, but I'm telling you that for me, that's, that's exciting. I mean, that really is. To look at your life and say, you're not meant to just be an extra on the set. Like, God, God wants your life to be a part of a purpose, of a power that would be touching the world. And, and I'm hoping that as I say that, you're like, that's, the, I, I, that's one of the things I live for. Like, that's what I'm doing. I hope so, because that's what we're supposed to be. That's how it began. If somehow you've slipped into, you know, existing till Jesus comes back, you know, like, hey, my whole goal is just to survive till the rapture, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, you know whatever that is, you know, just, you know just, just to make it through, that's not why we're here. And if you have somehow felt that, hey, that's what God does through evangelists, and that's what God does through pastors and missionaries, and my job is just to, you know, you know, sit in the background and do nothing. That is, that's exactly what God says no to. He says, no, I, I want this, the, the, the definite work of the church is all of us. So that when it talks about it in Ephesians, it talks about every single part being who they're made to be in Christ. Every part doing what it's supposed to do. And it's joyful. And again, we could talk about that in very big measures, but I just want to come back and say it to you. You're invited. You're invited to purpose. You're invited to saying, God, I want to do whatever it is. you. I want to be a part of that. I want to be whatever that is for me. I, I mean, this is, this is something where it's not just a few. In fact, Peter's going to talk about it in his sermon uh, that will start next week where he says, hey, you know, old men and you know, young, young kids and old men, they're still a part of this. I mean, there's no space that we're like, hey, that's for somebody else other than me. Like it covers the gamut of life. It covers all of us. And there's power in that. There's a power and a space of saying, yeah, I, I want that. Yeah, I, I want that, what that would look like. And it is that, that there's this space that now we have the work of spirit. Now we have the filling of the spirit, the empowering of the spirit. We have his presence in our lives. And wow, that's how it began. That's how it began. But then there's this other element that is important, but maybe one of the most often, at least my understanding of it, would be misunderstood. So go back and read it again, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with, notice, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Tongues, or the gift of tongues, you probably are aware of it, and that's what we want to take a few moments just to think through for a second. We want to at least try to gaze into this and spend just a moment kind of just running off on a rabbit trail, because I think if we misunderstand it here, we'll misunderstand kind of who we are. Uh, We'll misunderstand what God's intention is, and so if we're going to try to understand Acts 2, well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Uh, And and so the question is, what does the Bible say about this? And God actually gives us an entire chapter that kind of goes through the gift of tongues. So I want you to go there very rapidly with me. Would you turn in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians 14? We won't spend a lot of time there. We won't read even all of it, uh, but we're going to highlight what he tells us about the gift of tongues in this chapter. And I'm going to invite you, if you are unfamiliar with it, go and read the whole chapter, you know, maybe even tonight before you go to bed or tomorrow. But he defines for us what this thing is that we would call, or is called here, the gift of tongues. Notice a few things. Begins in verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue, because that's what we're talking about right now, does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So a gift of tongues is speaking to God. It is that. He says, if you're talking in a tongue, it's talking to God. If you're talking in a tongue, it's talking to God. It's not talking to people. Uh, there's not such a thing as a message in tongues biblically. It's, it's to God. And he says, nobody understands them. It's a language that's unknown. And again, I just take the, the word of God as to be you know, absolute. No one understands him. 
It's not a, a known language. It's not something that anybody in their natural ability could or would understand. He's speaking in the Spirit. He's speaking uh, an unknown language, he tells us. Goes on to tell us that if you do that, it's edifying. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Not a bad thing. It's not saying it's wrong to edify yourself. In fact, Jude would tell us, hey, you know, build yourself up in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. There is a, a space that is this, but it is a personal thing. It's a place that, that where this is what it's doing is working in the midst of the person who's speaking in tongues. Paul would go on to say in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. And I didn't even put that as a bullet point, probably could have. It is a good thing. I mean, let's just make sure we understand this. It was good then, it's good now. Uh, there is a place that the gift of tongues still exists today uh, because God has never taken it away. And it's a good thing. He says, I wish you guys all did. Boy, I think it's a great thing, Paul says. And God tells us in the midst of it, it ought to be doing that. Go on down to verse 14. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. My understanding is unfruitful. He says, in the midst of, if, I, if I'm praying and I'm speaking in tongues, I don't even know what I'm saying. I know my spirit is doing this, but it's not me, and that's this work of the Spirit. Oh, we could spend a bunch of time on that because Paul tells us in Romans 8, hey, the Spirit's given to us to, you know, we don't know what we should pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit is making intercession for us with groanings that we can't even get to, and this now becomes part of the display of that, that there's this place where someone's praying and, and, and doing that in this, and it becomes someone who, well, we would probably define it in our language today as someone who's a prayer warrior, someone who's, who's you know, just God is working in the midst of them, you know, through what the work of the Spirit is, that they would be praying. It's primarily something that's private. It goes on to tell us in verse 18, um, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Like, I speak in tongues. But he says, I, and he says I, I do it probably more than anybody I know, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's primarily something that isn't taking place on a Sunday or a Wednesday. It's not really, that's not its, its main place of application. Its main place, Paul says, is private. It's a place where he does it, you know, in that space of, of, of interceding, with that space of relationship with God, and, and it's primarily, you know, what Jesus would call in that prayer closet. It goes on to tell us uh, that if it is going to take place, if it ever does take place in a church gathering, whether it be a service or a home group or wherever it happens, he says in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be three let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So the gift of tongues can uh, be something that takes place in a church gathering. Probably most of the time it wouldn't be a Sunday or a Wednesday. Most of the time it would be like a home group or a prayer group because he talks about it. He talks about how it would be an offense and talks about how it would be confusing uh, to unbelievers, which is exactly how it works, by the way, sometimes when it takes place that way. But if there is a space where it happens, where the Holy Spirit orchestrates that, he says then there has to be uh, just an interpretation of it. There has to be someone that does that, which highlights for us that there's another gift. There is a gift of interpreting tongues. So you're there in chapter 14. You could read the rest of it later. Go back to chapter 12 for a moment. Flip over in 1 Corinthians 12. Really, chapters 12, 13, and 14 are talking about this whole place of the gifts and how God works through us individually, much of what we just have been talking about. You know, that we're all filled. That we're all given gifts. And there's different gifts that are given. I'll just notice it there beginning in chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, like every one of us has a gift, and is given for the profit of all. For one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the work of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, which is what we've just been talking about, the gift of tongues, but notice with me, to another, the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. 
So there is a gift of speaking in tongues. There is a gift of interpretation of tongues. I just want you to remember that for a moment because it's going to come back into what we're going to talk about in Acts 2. But I just want to make sure that you see it biblically. In this chapter, maybe one other quick thing to notice at the end of chapter 12 is that he just tells us uh, in verse 30. Actually, I'll just back up to verse 29. Um, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to that is meant to be clearly understood. No, no. This isn't something that everybody has. This isn't a universal gift. This isn't something, uh, whether it be prophets or, or teaching or healing or tongues. Now, that's important because, well, some of you will understand this better than others. Boy, there's some weird things that are taught by some. There are some churches that basically say, hey, you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. Like, you're not, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not, you're, you're not his. Uh, others would say, well, you know, you might be his, but you're not filled with the Spirit. I mean, the only mark of, of the filling of the Spirit is the gift of tongues. And I just want to tell you, this is not what the Bible says. That's, you know, if you're going to come at that you know, with some other experience or history of it, you know, God has to define it here. And even as we watch it take place in the book of Acts, it is still defined for us here. So, hey, just again saying it this way, the gift of tongues is real. And it's a good gift, but it's not for everybody. But maybe it is for you. Maybe you have the gift of tongues. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're curious. If you do, ask him, like, God, do you want me to have this? It's not something you create. If he does give it to you, it'd probably mostly be because he's calling you into prayer. He's calling you to be a part of that space where prayer is really the power of his work taking place. It's a good thing. Shouldn't be afraid of it at all. But don't feel, you know, somehow, you know, unspiritual if you don't have this gift. Well, you know, those other people, they're spiritual. I'm not really. It's like, really? It's, it's not what it says. We all have different gifts. The Holy Spirit giving them individually as he wills to who he wants it to be, and that includes this gift. Okay. So lots, lots more we could say there, but I just love that God makes it pretty clear. And so if he defines this as what speaking in tongues is, then that has to be what's also happening in the book of Acts, because God's not going to make it confusing, not going to make it something different than, than, than what this is. So with this as our template, with this as our template of what tongues is, let's go back uh, to the book of Acts and, and see what's going to take place. We watch it there in Acts chapter 2. You can flip back over there if you're still there in Corinthians. And he tells us again that, you know, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance there in verse 4. And we're going to notice that when we think about what that looks like, we're going to see, you know, kind of how that plays out. And I've already kind of told you that when we think about what the gift of tongues is, it's this personal, private, you know, mostly just personal prayer language. And so one of the things that's being emphasized on this day at the beginning of the church is how instrumental this is, how prayer and, and, and the work of prayer is, is going to be the power of the church. And, and ultimately, that's the thing that we're going to be understanding in the midst of it. So holding that as a thought, Let's begin to think about its impact. So we, we see the Spirit poured out. We see that beginning to take place. And now we notice the response. We notice how it happens. It tells us in verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It's worth just pausing and just kind of saying, preview of things to come, because this is what we are. We are a people that's going to touch the world. This is what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You're going to take the gospel to the whole world. You're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the world. And even on this day, God kind of brought people from everywhere into this moment, sovereignly placing them there so that almost in this preview, it's like, hey, this is who we're touching. We're a people for the world. We're a people to touch people from everywhere. And they're all there. It says, when this sound, this rushing mighty wind that filled the house, when it occurred in verse 6, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phygera and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors 
from Rhones, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So this amazing moment. I mean, they're just marveling. I mean, that's how it says. They're confused, but it's not a, not, the word for confusion here isn't the kind of idea like, you know, scared. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And that's what it says. It says they marveled. They marveled. They were absolutely shocked. And what shocked them is that they were hearing each in their own language. In fact, let me just kind of put it on the screen so you can make sure you're just paying attention with me because, again, sometimes just people read this differently and they read into it what they think it's saying, but I'm just inviting you to see the words that we're, we're a people of the book. We're a people that what God says defines it. And he said what was amazing is that they were hearing because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they're asking, how is it that we each hear in our own language? It's not that they were speaking in different languages. They're hearing. You gotta almost imagine it being there in this moment where someone's like, man, he's talking my native language from Crete. And they're like, no, he's not. He's talking my, my, my Arabic language. He's like, no, he's not. He's talking Roman language. He's like, no, he's not. I mean, they're like, how can, how can we all be hearing this at the same moment, but we're hearing differently? You're hearing it in one thing. I'm hearing it in something else. It isn't the speaking that defined it for them. It's that they're hearing each in their own language. And so again, just understanding it, it's not that they were speaking. Again, sometimes re- people read Acts 2 and they uh, will say something that, you know, they were speaking in tongues and so uh, they were speaking the gospel and they were speaking, you know, this is kind of the first kind of evangelistic thing and so the gospel was being communicated, you know, in each their own language. Uh, that's not what's happening and it's never happened again and, you know, <laughs> it's another way it works. It, and and it, it isn't what tongues is. And it isn't that the people were speaking in known languages. It's that people were hearing them. They were all hearing at the exact same moment in their own languages. Not hearing the gospel. And not, it's not that they're speaking the, the gospel. In fact, it's really clear. It tells us there in verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, that's a really cool phrase. If we had a bunch of time, we'd talk about it. It's a worshipful phrase. It's one that's used in the Psalms. Uh, and, and it's not speaking of, hey, preaching. It's not speaking of, uh, of proclaiming the gospel, which sometimes people will, again, read into this. It's worship. It's worshiping God. It's, it's because, remember what we already talked about? Tongues is speaking to God. It's, it's not talking to man. It is not a, it's not a message, it's, it's, it's to God. And so this is this place where there's this worship rising uh, that is spirit-inspired, but those who are believers there are all hearing. And so again, just kind of giving it to you in, in a very simple way, I just would hold before you, this is one of the biblical evidences of the gift of interpretation of tongues. In fact, it's one of the only ones that we have. I mean, if you look at the gifts that are defined in 1 Corinthians 12, and you would say, okay, so there's a gift of tongues, but then there's a gift to, to be able to understand tongues. So where's our example? Uh, where do we ever see the gift of interpretation take place? And I would just very simply tell you, that's exactly what this is. I just think, you know, it, it, it's this place where a couple things are happening at the same moment. There are believers who are speaking in tongues, worshiping God, you know, the 120 that are there because the spirit of God has descended on them. This isn't on anybody else. This isn't unbelievers. This is on the believers who are gathered there and they're worshiping and, and yet everybody around there is amazed because they're hearing it. And, and, and it's this crazy cool moment where the spirit of God, you know, is giving them a, a window into that. And again, it's just a good example of kind of what that would look like, you know, even in the midst of it, where someone would be given that ability to understand tongues, and so they do. So you have this crazy space where that's happening, but it's also worth noting, it's not what everybody heard. Uh, the believers and everybody who's there, they're like, well, they're, no, they're speaking in my own, they're in Phygera, or they're speaking in Pamphylia, or they're speaking, you know, in Egyptian, or they're speaking in other this, but others say, no, no, that's not what I hear at all. They're just babbling. You know, they're, they, they sound drunk to me. You know, that's what it says in verse 13. Others mockingly said they're full of new wine. And so, again, it is this picture where the, someone is speaking in tongues, and it just, it's, it's an unknown language. It's, it's speaking in a, in a language that nobody else would understand. And those there who aren't believers, who don't have the work of the Spirit happening in them, they don't understand it yet. 
And they're like, that's not what I hear. It's to these that the rest of the, the chapter is going to lay out, where Peter's going to say, hey, these people are not drunk. Uh, they're, they're, this, is, this is not you know, people just you know, babbling. This is the work of the Spirit. And he's going to preach the gospel to those who don't understand it. He's going to preach the gospel, inviting people to be saved. But again, it's, it's just this space where, hey, it's, it's happening in this crazy, neat way, but it's a good beginning. Now, that was a lot of real technical things, and I hope it wasn't overwhelmingly so, but I, 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 there's this picture where I'm just telling you, hey, this is our beginnings. And it's a very sometimes misunderstood passage, and it's sad that it's misunderstood when God you know, makes it so clear, when he tells us what tongues are and, and why they are and what they are and when they are. And so we have it taking place here where it's flowing in this direction in a unique beginning, but a beginning that is this for us, a place where this impact is going to happen, where Peter will then preach a sermon you know, to those who are listening and going, I don't understand. I don't know what this is, and they'll get saved, 3,000 people. And the church is going to be just, it's brand new beginning. It's going to be an amazing, wonderful, glorious space. So we think about all of that. Let me kind of bring it back to that first four verses for a few moments, and we'll end there this evening. I don't know where it lands for you. I mean, maybe I've walked through some of this, and you fully understand it, and you really like it. That's great. I have a sense that for some of you it is that for some, but others of you are like, man, Acts 2 is kind of weird. Like when I read Acts 2, it's like, I don't even know what that stuff is. Rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire, just, you know, I just keep turning the pages till we get to something else, you know, because it just doesn't sound, you know, like it applies to me. But I'm just telling you it does. I'm just telling you that there, there ought to be a sense that you could put your, your hands on this and say, that's who we are. This is what we are. This is, this is what the church is. We are a people that are about a harvest. We're about the gospel going forward in a way that we are meant to be the one body in Jesus Christ, representing Jesus into this world. We're this place where we're longing for God to do his work that is sovereign and, and his in a way that we don't get to define it. We don't get to cause it. We just get to see it like a rushing mighty wind. We get to be a part of that where it's palpable in this crazy space, but he's gonna do this by enabling us to be his witnesses, to be filled with power, and, 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 and to go forward, but tied into the midst of this will, will be this place of utter dependence upon him, that at the very beginning, even the pouring out of the gift of tongues here is this almost underscoring reality. It's like the only way this is going to happen is by depending on God, that we are meant to be a people who are praying people, and everything that God does you know, moves forward in prayer. I mean, it just does. We'll see it more clearly in heaven. I wish I could say it more uh, just forcefully right now, but there's never been a move of God anywhere that hasn't been accompanied by God's people pouring out independence and, and, and just a, a crying out in prayer. Every revival in the history of mankind can be easily tied to exactly what we find here. Just people praying and crying out and longing for God to work. And so that's in many ways where we are, just always saying, okay, that's us. This is how it began. And where we're not that, where any sense that we'd look and say, okay, that doesn't look like what I think of the church, then we, need to, we do need to get back to the book of Acts and say, yes, this is who we are. We're a people about a harvest, united in Christ, longing for him, his power, for his rushing mighty wind, longing for his enabling to be bold, longing to be a people who are dependent on him. And if you're someone who has that gift of tongues and you are someone that's called to be a prayer warrior, then pray, because I guarantee that that's how God's moving forward in prayer. If you don't have that gift, still pray. Like we're meant to pray. Paul says, I'll pray with the gift of tongues. I'll pray with my understanding. I'll do both. I will, I will come because this is who we are. We're meant to be a people that get to see God just at work in this, and this is our beginning. This is what we ought to get back to. So as we close this evening, I wonder where it is. I wonder if there's a space in there that you would look here at any of these right now and just say, that doesn't look anything like me. That doesn't look anything like what I'm here for tonight then I'm just inviting you to say, well, this is what he wants you to be a part of. 
This is what he wants you to be praying for, to be involved in, to be looking for, to be saying, okay, God, I want power to be a witness. I want boldness. I want, I, I want to be my part in the body of Christ. I want to be a prayerful, dependent you know, person on you. I want to see you move in your sovereignty and, and, and in, in your ways that you're longing to, to move in us. We, we don't want to create a man-centered, man-powered thing. We, we're longing for this. Because this is what the church is. And, and I just, I, if there's any space in that this evening that doesn't look like you, then I would just invite you to say, hey, God, take me back. Just bring me back to what that is. Bring me back to, to what that would look like in my life so that the origin of what the church is looks like the church, uh, even in this day. So let's end there. Let's just go before God and ask Him for that. And we'll worship Him this evening, longing that He would draw us to this. Father, wow, wild and wonderful to look at the beginning of the church that you have started, that you are doing. Holy Spirit, that you have united in power and drawn us into Christ. We probably take it for granted because it's all that we've known as Christians. But we get a scriptural opportunity to look and say, this is wonderfully gloriously unique. God, thank you for how you began it. Thank you that this is still what you're wanting to do. So I just pray for these things right now. I pray for a harvest of souls. I pray for people from every tribe and tongue and language. I pray for the gospel to be going forward in power today, that you'd be taking it forward in missionaries, you'd be taking it forward in churches, you'd be taking it forward in believers everywhere. God, I, I, I cry out that you, even at this moment, would cause us to know that we are united in Christ, that there's only one body of Christ in this world today, and everyone who is genuinely a follower of you, that's our brother, that's our sister. And God, we stand with them. We stand with them today, longing to see you move in power. God, your sovereign work, your work that is a rushing mighty wind, it's a, it's a, it's a work of the Spirit that isn't us, is you. God, we want to be a part of that. And we thank you that that's exactly what you're longing for, giving us tongues of fire, as it were, giving us the ability to be powered by you, to be empowered to be your witnesses in this broken world. God, just cry out for more of that. Cry out that you bring us there. And God, as we express that desire, we also express that dependence that is evidenced in the gift of tongues. And we thank you for it. I thank you for the work of the Spirit that you tell us there in Romans 8 that we don't even know how to pray really. We don't even know how to pray as we ought. But Holy Spirit, you're making intercession for us with words and groanings that are deeper, more powerful than we could ever get to. God, thank you for expressing that through the gift of tongues. Thank you for reminding us what dependence we have upon you, what dependence we have upon you in prayer. God, thank you that you're moving that way. Stir it up more. Make us a people who are hungry, wanting your power, wanting to, to know our dependence upon you greater. And God, thank you. Uh, Jesus, I think about what you said. You're building your church. And I think about just getting to step in and see its beginning. I know you're still doing it. And just thank you today for that. Here and around the world, we just pray that you would just continue to show yourself strong continue to work this all for your glory, all for your ways. We ask for that now as we surrender this evening to you. In Jesus' name.